Welcome to Beyond the Data, a podcast produced by Rails. I'm your host, Jamie Vinkel. This podcast is all about fintech, and as the title alludes to, the people beyond the data. In this podcast, we'll bring in industry experts from FIs, fintechs, people from customer success to engineers, and everyone in between, so we can learn as much as possible about this industry and grow together. This week, we bring back a familiar guest that you might remember from a previous episode to talk about bank reconciliation and fraud metrics. Thanks for joining us again on Beyond the Data. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so this week, we're, we're chatting about bank reconciliation and fraud metrics. Uh, so why do we touch on these things within our Rails uh, software and why is it uh, important for us to have those two things? Well, I would say the importance of these two features is, um, well, they have certain things in common and that's why it makes sense to examine them uh, in conjunction. And um, the main thing that they have in common is that they both help as a, an analytic endpoint to understand uh, potential accounting or financial statement fraud. Um, now, of course, banking reconciliation um, is, is the is the endpoint that provides a much more conclusive result with respect to uh, the output it gives. And um, fraud risk metrics is more of a tool for a person that wants to um, investigate potential fraudulent activities in a certain company. So I just wanna dive in a little bit on each one a little bit more. So when we think about bank reconciliation, why is that valuable for a SMB or like a small business? Mm -hmm. Like how, how does that how does that provide value to them? Well, it's important to reconcile the transactions that uh, you are making for, in my opinion, two main reasons. Um, the main the first one is that a small business uh, knows that has conducted certain transactions and they want to see if the accounting side of these transactions is also the same as the banking side of, of the transaction they've conducted. And in case this happens, that means that usually they don't have many errors in the way they record the accounting transactions. And also the chance of having some fraudulent activity on their side is, is, is much smaller. Um, so it prevents accounting errors and it also prevents uh, or unmasks, let's say, fraudulent activities okay perfect so when we are able to reconcile uh mm -hmm. we can maybe potentially see uh some transactions or some things that happen that might be a red flag and we go hold on a minute that's not supposed to be there yeah exactly so talked a little bit about how this can help fis or finance institutions so is it, can we dive into that a little bit more around why this is beneficial for FIs, and then as we talked about as well, how that trickles down to SMBs that are uh, working or doing business with those FIs. Right, so usually an FI um, would be looking into uh, lending or investing to a certain SMB. And of course, when they consider uh, many of the things, many of the analytics that we provide, such as the credit score and the financial statement forecasting, um, they might as well consider whether these statements and these analytics come from a fraudulent financial statement or from uh, true, let's say, or, or non-fraudulent financial statement. Um, and for FI specifically, another thing that banking reconciliation gives to them is that they have a better understanding of how exactly the cash flows in and out of company and 
to what exactly matter. Um, so having those insights might actually reinforce their opinion of how well this uh, SMB performs. And of course, on the SMB side is beneficial for them because they can show that they are indeed a company that does a good work and that's not necessarily a, a cooked financial statement or something that is just a storefront. I just want to dive in a bit more on the fraud side of things and and just try to think about what we're so when we think about fraud, you know, I'm I'm going back to uh many years ago for myself when I when I first started in the financial world um and just going through, you know, fraud training and talking about um like money laundering, for example, or mm -hmm. uh debit and credit fraud. Are these all things that we're talking about here when we think about fraud as an umbrella term or are there really specific areas we can dive into um, with with what we offer here at Rails? Well, I would say they are a bit under the umbrella of fraud risk. So um, we have, what you mentioned is, is relevant in certain cases, um, but um, so I would say that there are three main pillars that are falling under the fraud risk umbrella. Um, the first one is has to do with the financial statement that uh, a company provides, and we examine this for uh, potential signs of fraud. Um, the second one is the accounting transactions that they provide. And the third one is sort of deriving from the first, but it's a bit more analytical. It shows um, the financial ratios of these financial statements, how they change over time in order to be able to pick up uh, certain uh, irregular activities. Now, as I mentioned, fraud risk metrics is more of a, a collection of tools for a person that wants to investigate fraud. So we don't provide any conclusive evidence that says that statement is fraudulent or that statement is not fraudulent. We are trying to give statistics that if you examine them in conjunction with each other, you understand, you have a better understanding of how this company operates and therefore you can pick up fraudulent activities. Talked about FIs. Is there any difference with with like a fintech or a startup, or is it is it the same value that uh, reconciliation and fraud metrics will provide to them? Are there any any use cases that might be different for the the startups of the world, the fintechs? I assume that it would be mostly on the reconciliation side because usually a startup would not be around for for a big period of time, and um, they might have not figured out exactly how to conduct their transactions in a way that they will reconcile with each other on a more perfect manner and they will show indeed the the image that they want to project the the, the clean and and tidy image they want to project and therefore i would assume that in the in this smb side and the startup side it will make more sense to have this analytic in order to understand how they should operate more with their CAS and give to the fis a better understanding of how they work now I want to shift it over to the, uh, you know, what's in it for me side of things, but also how we can explain this to a third grader or, you know, this lemonade stand analogy that we've been beating to death on this podcast, but people seem to like it. So let's keep rolling with it. So can we bring this into a, a situation where we can help a, well, I guess help my nephew who's now creating this lemonade stand monopoly, uh, understand how this can value him and his company well i will start with the fraud risk metrics because i have um 
a particular example that falls into the lemonade stand uh, region. And then for banking reconciliation, I'm going to alter a bit the example, uh, but it's still going to be for from school days of, uh, of a kid. Uh, so for fraud risk metrics, um, let's say that we have the lemonade stands and one lemonade stand and another person wants to understand how well or not well this lemonade stand is selling. And indeed, they see that uh, at the end of the day, this lemonade stands has sold most of the lemonades. It sells in a very consistent amount of lemonade per day, regardless of whether it's a very warm or very cold day. So they say, probably this business is great. Um, then they make a bit more investigation, the transaction that this lemonade stand has, and they figure out that when this lemonade stand has a specific amount of lemonade left when the day is, is ending and it's being unsold, then the parents of the kid that owns the lemonade stand come and buy the lemonade. So, of course, he cannot understand that it's the parents that buy the lemonade, but what he can see is that even all the transactions are usually, let's say, between one and three cups of lemonade per person. They see that all of a sudden comes one person and buys 20 cups of lemonade. So that is an outlier as a transaction, and that can mean potential fraudulent activity from the lemonade stand perspective. And um, yeah, I think this is the closest example I can get in terms of explaining a financial fraud to a, to a third grader. I love that. So I'm thinking about the parents of my nephew, in this case, you know, my, my relatives, they're coming in going, okay, let's pump this money into the stand, M make sure our kid's getting some more money, and maybe it's money they don't want to put through their own bank accounts, and they're going, here you go. <laughs> here you go right, or, or, or they have incentive for the lemonade stand to go well because they already paid for the ingredients of the lemonade stand, right? And so, so they, 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 they financed, fraud. yeah, exactly, they financed the, the, the operation, and now they have incentive for it to go well, and for the third person that observes how well it goes, uh, they have an incentive to to pump up the sales. Yeah, I love how my mind went to uh, money laundering and potentially illicit drug activity, and yours went to uh, uh, investor fraud. So I, I like your approach much, much better because uh, that might just show how I feel about some of my family, who I love very much. But and, and it's actually closer with what we are providing. So we we do actually have a type of outliers analysis. Um, in our in our fraud risk metrics and uh yeah like outlier transactions is something that uh, is commonly known in the accounting world as something that you have to look for if you want to look for fraud right that makes sense uh, mm -hmm. and and maybe i'm going a bit off topic here but for the outliers not all of these are going to be potentially fraudulent activities just going to be a red flag that can allow you to investigate further and, and really understand what's happening there. Exactly. Like I mentioned before, it's just a tool for a person that wants to investigate fraud. So we don't necessarily say that this is a red flag. We say, if you want to take a look, maybe you should take a look at this and this, which right. potentially shows some some things that they shouldn't be there. Yeah, that's great. So we're, yeah, giving them, giving tools to provide analysis for themselves and really- Yes, correct. Yourself the example that I have for the banking reconciliation. Um, so, like I said, it came to me from, from the school days, so like a practice that a lot of kids were doing, almost I think most people have done during their school days. Um, let's imagine uh, like a third or fourth grader that goes every day in school and 
his parents are giving him every day five dollars to get lunch from the school canteen now his parents are expecting to spend those five dollars in a relatively healthy lunch that the canteen provides so let's say that the first day the the fourth grader goes and indeed spends the five dollars in the in the healthy lunch the second day he goes and he spends them let's say in two ice cream cones instead of having this lunch that the parents expected and the third day he doesn't even go to the canteen and chooses to bet the five dollars in a in a race with his uh, with his pal on who can get you know to a certain distance first now if the third grader is is very um unlucky his parents when they go to the uh, parents day at school they might bump to the person that owns the canteen and they will ask him about oh what what exactly does my kid purchase from you and uh, well if the person that owns the canteen has a good memory he will actually be able to recall that you know the, the third day the, the person did not come at all the kid did not come at all to the canteen um, the second day he only purchased the ice cream and not the lunch so here we have three transactions the first one is a reconciled transaction and is reconciled with what the parent was expecting the second one is still a reconciled transaction but with not exactly what the parent was expecting the kid indeed went to the canteen and bought something but it wasn't a healthy lunch it was ice cream cones and the third transaction is not even reconciled so it's actually important to look on both reconciled and unreconciled transactions because just the fact that the transaction is reconciled does not guarantee that is what you were expecting based on the company's activity so that's why we do provide this breakdown on the second level we show both reconciled and unreconciled transactions trying to provide as much information as possible i love that and that's a great it's great analogy again going back to that that third grader because i think I mean, I know I, as a kid, can relate to all three of those scenarios you laid out. By the way, I was always the slowest one on the playground. Uh, so if I, were, if I was betting money, I would have lost uh, a lot. So how can this? How does this appear within our software? So if I'm a Rails client and I am logging into the dashboard or I set it up in my own internal uh, software, how will bank reconciliation or fraud metrics, how might it appear visually to our clients? Well, bank reconciliation has two levels of outputs, I would call it. The, um, the top level of output has to do with the entirety of the data set and is basically a few descriptive statistics, including the reconciliation score, the accuracy score. Um, so that is a very high level um, information that the client can get from the dashboard. And then the second level that they can delve more deeply into is that we provide list of the reconciled and the unreconciled transactions separately and all the data that come with these transactions. So um, it's important to look on both sides, on both reconciled and unreconciled transactions. Oh, yeah, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's all we have this week. So thanks for joining us again on Beyond the Data. We appreciate it. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Another week, another episode. I hope you learned as much as I did yet again this week in Beyond the Data as we continue on this journey together. As always, if you want to learn more about Beyond the Data, head over to rails.ai, that's rails with a z.ai, and I hope to see you in the next episode. Until then, take care.